0: Well, good morning, it's great to be uh, in worship uh, with you this morning, um, always, uh, always good to see your faces, always good to hear your voices in, um, in singing. Um, for The last few weeks we've been, um, we've been talking about um, kind of walking through the book of Titus and we've been doing a more topical study through the book of Titus, typically here at Trinity Church, for those of you who are new, we uh, will take a book of the Bible and we'll teach through the book of the Bible verse by verse. And in this case, however, uh, as we're going through the book of Titus, which is found in the New Testament, um, we're going to let Titus pick the topics and using Titus as a starting point, and then looking at how uh, that particular topic comes up, and then we'll we expand. We've expanded. Uh, we'll expand that topic. So we've talked about the preaching and leadership. We're going to get into the guts of it uh, as we move forward. But we've over these last few weeks, we've talked about some things that we typically would not talk about, whether it's preaching or leadership. And we're going to do that again today. Um, and again, when we talk about leadership, we're not talking about just um, individuals in a position. We're talking about anyone who has influence. That means you, and that means me. Uh, every one of us, we have influence one way or the other. So if you have a copy of the Bible, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. And again, if you're looking on the the, the Bible that the church provides, it's page 998. Now, we're going to start here, but I am going to take you to um, two passages that uh, highlight what we want to talk about today. Now, if you, I, I want to let you know up front that the story we're going to look at, it does have a uh, kind of an, um, kind of an R rated flair. So if you have small children, you don't want them to necessarily um, hear that story or read the Bible, it's, it's in the Bible, then uh, you're, you're free to say, okay, I think I'm going to step out uh, for that time, but yet, uh, I just want to at least to let you know to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so, Titus chapter 1, and looking at verse 5 and verse 6, but, but focused necess- uh, focus on verse 5, And this is Paul talking to a young pastor by the name of Titus. Paul went and planted churches, and he left Titus on this island called Crete. And Crete was a beautiful place, uh, but it was morally bankrupt. And so this is what Paul says to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And to appoint elders and leaders, that is leaders and shepherds, in every town as I directed you. And then in verse 6 and beyond, he starts naming the attributes of what these leaders should be. Um, Now, we talked a little bit about leaders last week and that they should be uh, a certain, um, they should have certain characteristics that these leaders are shepherds and they share their lives with the people that they're leading, they, um, they are examples to the flock that they're leading, they are qualified as they lead. In, in short, uh, what, what, what Paul tells Titus, I want you to appoint and train, train and appoint men and women who are godly And we talked about what godliness is. Godliness is, how do I live um, How do I live in such a way that pleases God? The way we know how to please God is reading the scriptures, reading the Bible so that we might know. Now unfortunately, unfortunately, we all know leaders who fail. We, we all know leaders who sin. We all know leaders who disappoint those that they lead. I believe if we were to work the room right now, um, you and I could, we have story, maybe story after story of individuals who either said something to us or did something to us or broke our trust and it devastated us. It devastated our trust and and maybe even devastated your trust in the person, devastated your trust in the church, and maybe even devastated your trust in God. And maybe you're back here for the first time and said, you know, I'm going to give it another shot. I'm going to give it another try. And maybe in your mind, you finally said, hey, I'm not following a man. I'm not following a woman. I am following God. And so, Leaders sometimes fail. Now, when I talk about leaders, I'm not just talking about those who hold a position. I am talking about you and me as well, because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have influence. Leaders fail and they break trust on many levels. Leaders that are supposed to protect the flock, they prey on the flock. Leaders that are supposed to love the flock, they loot the flock. There are leaders who are supposed to represent Christ to the flock, not repulse the flock. And yet, we see this happening all the time. The question that I was asking, what happens when Crete gets into a godly leader's heart? What happens when leaders of a church or leaders in any kind of uh, area of influence, what happens when They act like Cretans. Well, what, what do you do when they those leaders are morally bankrupt as well? The truth is, the truth is, we all fail God in many ways. We lie, we cheat, we are proud. We are poor managers of God's resources. Our anger gets the best of us, leading us into sin with our our mouths and with our lives. We deceive and manipulate people to get what we desire. We steal from others intentionally or unintentionally. We fail God and people in many ways. Even the best of us fail God even those who've been walking with Jesus a long time, sin and fail. Don't let, a, don't let any Christian tell you that, oh, I'm so righteous and I, like I never sin and oh, I just walk around holy than thou, singing to Jesus all day. <laughs> the reality is we all fail and sin against a holy God, even the best of us. So I'm going to show you a story in the Bible that shows how leaders, even the best, even the ones who are called by God, fail God. So turn with me. So turn from Titus, and I want you to turn over to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel chapter 11, so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go through the story, giving a little commentary as I go, and then I'm going to come back and I'm gonna ask you your thoughts about this story. What'd you like about this story? What didn't you like about this story? What rubs you the wrong way about this story? Like, like, like what, what's going on inside of you when you hear this story? What's happening in this story? So, Second Samuel chapter eleven, looking at verse. Uh, if you're looking on this Bible, it's page two sixty-two. So let's rock. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and uh, and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It, It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and she was a baddie. She was fine. That's, that's what the text says. <laughs> the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness that is her menstrual cycle then she returned to her house and the woman conceived she slid into david's dm and said i am pregnant y'all y'all understand that y'all y'all understand what i'm saying So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked, how's Joab doing? How are the people who are fighting doing? Are they encouraged? How's the war going? Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Listen, I know you've been a, you've been gone a long time. I know you miss your wife. Why don't you go? Y'all have a nice little dinner, and you know, you know. And so David said to Uriah, "Go down to your house and wash your feet." And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. So David sends Uriah a present. "'But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house "'with all the servants of his lord "'and did not go down to his house.'" When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house David said to Uriah have you not come from a journey why did you not go down to your house Uriah said to David I have good reason the ark of Israel and Judah dwell the ark and the, and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? Why should I enjoy life when my comrades, my friends, and the reputation of God is at stake? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, to Uriah remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah, Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go to his house. So David is trying to get him drunk so he can go home and sleep with his wife. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to, uh, by hand to Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men and the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight, did not you know that you would, did you not know that they would shoot uh, from the wall? You you remember who killed uh, Abimelech, the son of uh, Jeruboam? Besheth? Was it not a woman who cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at the Bez? Why did you go so near the wall? That's the news that they would give to David. Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us uh, in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Kittite is dead also." David said to the messenger, thus shall, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another. People die in war. Sometimes they, one person dies and then another person dies. And now uh, strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. And encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. you not miss this last part. But the thing Notice how it's packaged as one thing, but he had many things that he did. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So, that's the story. Tell me what's happening in the story. What's happening in the story? Just, just kind of, we can, I know like we don't talk in church, but you can, I'm giving you permission to talk in church today, all right? So what happened in the story? Yeah, David committed adultery. Adultery, for those who may not know, is sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. So David committed adultery. What else is happening in the story? Come on, give me some, what's happening in the story? Trying to cover it up, he commits adultery. Tries to cover it up. What else happened? Murder. Like like murdered. Like David had Uriah murdered. That's literally what happened. So what 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 else is happening in the story? Yeah, he was out of order. He didn't even go to battle. He should have been with the other kings. And when you and I, when David, when David did not do what he was supposed to do, that led to a greater temptation for him. And had he been at war, this probably would not have happened then. If, if, if we're not guarding our hearts, it will eventually happen. But in this case, he could have protected himself from it happening. All right, somebody else. What's happening in the story? Cover up. So so let me ask, what do you like about the story and what don't you like about the story? Keep it holy in here, all right? We're going to keep it holy. We're in church, y'all. What do you like about the story and what don't you like about the story? Okay. Okay. What's that? I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so, so Uriah, Uriah said, "Listen, I'm loyal to I'm I'm loyal to you, David, and I'm loyal to Israel. And and even while David tries to get him to go, he tries he gets him drunk. He says, listen, your wife is waiting for you, Uriah.'" doesn't go right so what else do you like about the story and what don't you like about the story okay marlon so the son of this affair actually became a great king of israel even there's this redemption that happens in this um, even as we look as we look forward Really good. Patty. his uh, authority to rape Bathsheba and he destroyed her life. Yeah, well, Patty is not, she is not bashful. Um, <laughs> what she said is David used his authority to rape Bathsheba and ruin her life. Here's a man who is supposed to protect the flock, and he takes advantage. Here's a man who's supposed to use his authority for good, and he uses it for evil. So, what else? What? 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 What do you? What do you like? Give, come talk back to me. What do you like about this story? What don't you like, Micah? Joab should have told David no. He was complicit. And Joab should have said, I cannot do this thing. And yet, he had an anxious presence, did not respond, did not do the right thing. What else? What else? Come on, give me me some more. Yes. God held him responsible at the end. The interesting thing is what I like about this story is that it's in the Bible. It's here. And and this is not, and there there are individuals who say, Well, oh, the, the Bible and Christianity is so pristine and and, and 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 there is nothing but right and godliness. The truth is, is that this is the human experience. This is life, and the Bible shows us life. The Bible shows us the the harshness of sin so that the grace of God may abound even more. And so I, I love the fact that this is in the Bible. And before we get too hard on David... The last part of that chapter says, and what David did displeased the Lord. So I took this out of David's life and said, what in my life am I doing that's displeasing the Lord? Again, I said, well, man, I didn't come to church for this. I came for hope, and we're going to get to hope in a few minutes we we got to we got to talk about this it's that that we 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 deceive and we lie and we cheat and we flirt and we uh, steal, and we are proud, and we are poor managers of God's resources, and we cover up, and we manage an image, and we do things like David that displease God. Now, maybe, maybe you say, Marvin, I've never done that, but we don't gradate sin. We That that to God, a holy God, whether it's adultery or whether it's a lie, the consequences are different, but to God, they are sin. And it breaks the heart of God. So we fail God in many ways. Now, listen, before, before we get so bogged down in the failure and sin of David, this scandalous story, How should we respond? Now, I'll tell you how we typically respond. When a person sins, when a leader sins, when Christians sin, Christians sin, we have a tendency to do two things. One, one or two things. One, we cancel them. We live in a cancel culture, and there's nothing that you can do to make it right. So even after years of years and years of confession and repentance and even a turning from, there's always somebody there to remind you of what you did and cancel you over again. So there's this sense where we cancel individuals. A second thing that we tend to do is we coddle. Now, what I mean by that is we say to that individual, we say to that individual, oh, your sin is not so God forgives. And he does. But we never, ever talk about the consequences. We never talk about the the idea that I, I have to be held accountable for what I did. Now, God is gracious. God is so gracious. And we're going to get to that. He is so loving and so kind. And I think that's the reason He pushes us to look at our lives and to say, How have I displeased you, God? So we have a tendency to cancel and coddle. But what is the right response? Well, the right response, we must confess and repent. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to turn over to the book of Psalms. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. So David, God God uses a friend of David's to confront him. A guy by the name of Nathan. Confronts him. um, Confronts his sin. And tells David that you've sinned against God. Now, David tried his best to cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up. And so when God revealed David's sin to him, he wrote a song. He wrote a song. And Psalm 51 is that song. And that song shows us how to actually repent and confess and confess and repent. So what I have a tendency to do, if you're anything like me, I do a general confession. God, forgive me for all my sins. And I don't get specific this psalm is really a song, a heartfelt, a heartfelt song to God about how David broke the heart of God and David's plea for mercy and David's plea for God's compassion and David's plea for God to restore him and love him and care for him and to let the spirit of God cause him to rejoice again. And this is this is a Psalm that is so rich with meaning. I'm not gonna be able to, deal with the entire, uh, but I want to kind of show and highlight a few things that you and I should do when we break the heart of God, when we sin against God. So here's the first thing. It says, Uh, verses one through three, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. The first thing that is super, super important, if if we're to experience the joy of the fellowship of God after we've sinned against him, here's the first thing that's important specify the sin, specify the sin. I want, to, I, want you to, I want to show you something. Look at verses one through three again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Here it is, the first thing, blot out my transgressions. Transgressions is the first word. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, that's the second word, and then cleanse me from my sin, that's the third word. And so what David does, he gives us color to three ways in which we break the heart of God. Transgressions is rebellion against God's authority. So I know this is the word and I kind of just said, you know something, I really don't care about the Bible anymore. I got my own thing. Don't want to don't want to worry about it. So I'm rebelling against God's authority. That's transgression. Iniquity is taking something straight and making it crooked. And so David made marriage that is straight, and he made it crooked. He took a friendship that was straight, and he made it crooked. He took something that was good and right, and he distorted it. And so David is saying, God, I have rebelled against you. I've taken something straight, and I've made it crooked as the king. And then he says... He says, I want you to cleanse me from my sin. Sin is missing the mark. I see the target, God, but I'm going to shoot the arrow over here. I see the target, God, but I'm going to shoot the arrow over here. And so David, is he specifies his sin against God. God, I've rebelled against you. God, I've taken something straight and made it crooked. And God, I intentionally missed the mark. So specify the sin instead of being general, God, I stole something. God, I flirted with someone who was not my spouse. God, I, I actually cheated on that exam because I wanted to get into whatever school or whatever. God, God, I, I, I specifically this, and guess what? Here's what I'm convinced of. If you don't know what it is, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what it is. That thing that 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 kind of sticks in your craw. It's the Spirit of God revealing. Here's the second thing. Ask for mercy. Specify my sin. Ask for mercy. Verse one. It says, "Have mercy on me, O God." And so here David appeals. To God's forgiveness based on his character and God is a merciful God and when we talk about mercy it is giving God would you please give me something I don't deserve I deserve death I deserve punishment but God I know your character to be merciful and compassionate can you throw some buckets of mercy on me God God, I've broken your heart. Can you throw some buckets of compassion on me, God? God, yes, you would be justified if you got rid of me right now. But that's not like you, God. You give people mercy. Has anybody ever experienced the mercy of God? has anybody in the room you deserve death you deserve the punishment of God and God says I am not going to punish you today I am not going to kill you today I am going to shower you with my mercy my love my compassion do I have anybody in the house who's experienced the mercy of God If we we're in a black church. Everybody will be on their feet right now. Because because it is by his mercy. You see, David did heinous things. He committed adultery. He raped. He deceived. He murdered. And yet God, in his mercy, said, I will forgive. So, so ask For mercy, because mercy is plentiful. Ask for mercy. Here's the third thing understand the impact of our sin. And what I mean by that is, David. Hurt, hurt Bathsheba. He killed Uriah. He, I think he probably broke a relationship with Joab. And yet David, when he says this, uh, when, he, when, he, uh, when he gives this psalm, verse 4, look at verse 4. It says, against you and you only have I sinned. and done done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. What David understood, yes, he hurt Bathsheba. Yes, he hurt Uriah. Yes, he hurt Joab. But ultimately, all of our sin is against God. And so he, he says that, God, I have broken your heart. The God who made me king, I broke your heart. The God who anointed me, I broke your heart. The God who appointed me, I broke your heart. The God who gave me gifts and abilities, I broke your heart. Yes, God, I am so sorry that I hurt Bathsheba, but ultimately, I hurt you. And within understanding the impact of our sin, we should avoid defensiveness. In the same point, we should avoid defensiveness. Well, God, they made me do it. They made me cuss them out. No, they didn't. They made me lie. No, no, they didn't. It's it is. I broke the heart of God, and I refuse to be defensive. And justify, to justify my sin, to rationalize my sin. So confess, specify the sin, ask for mercy, understand the impact of my sin, and then fourth, verse eight. Ask God to break us and heal us. Look at verse eight. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In other words, God breaks David. He breaks him of his pride. He breaks him of his deceit. He breaks him of his his ability to think that he's above the law as king. And God breaks him down. But he just doesn't break him to hurt him. He breaks him to actually heal him. So when I was in high school, I broke my ankle and um, the doctor had to, my, my ankle, and I'm going to gross people out right now. I was playing basketball in the alley and um, I came down in a, in a crack and my ankle was stuck like this. Bone comes out on the other side. My ankle was stuck like this. This is how I go to the doctor. And so the next day, what the doctor does, the doctor, the doctor resets my ankle, putting it back in place. And, and, and I would have been kind of dumb to say, Doc, what are you doing? That hurts. Like, like, you don't know what you're doing. I could have said that, but the doctor, I'm resetting your ankle so that I can put it in place, put a cast on it. And after three months, my ankle was healed. Sometimes God breaks us to heal us. Sometimes God breaks us of pride and anger and, 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 um, and um, sometimes he will take everything away from us so that we might be better stewards. Sometimes he will put that person on your job to quote unquote anger you, to help you have self-control. So sometimes God breaks us to heal us. Here's another, receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, verse 11. Verse 11 says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So after God breaks us and heals us, the Spirit of God comforts us. Even in conviction, conviction is a gift. The pain of conviction is a gift. What is conviction? Conviction is God pointing out my sin and me not only feeling bad about my sin, but feeling bad about me breaking the heart of God because of my sin. But even in that, it's the fact that God is still talking to us through conviction. If you sin without any conviction at all, without any pain of the sin you've committed, something is wrong. Something is wrong. When we sin and we feel bad, not that we got caught, but we feel bad that the hand of God is on us, that's a good thing. Because it still, it says that the spirit of God is working and he comforts us as we walk through. Here's another one. Here's a, let me give you a couple more and that's it. Speak of God's grace and his truth. Verses 12 through 15. 12 through 15, it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Um, then I will teach. So after I've been forgiven, after I've been broken, after God is restored, I will Teach transgressors your ways. I'll tell them not to go down that road. I'll tell them you shouldn't do that. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And so David says, I am going to praise you and I'm going to teach other people how to live godly lives based on how you've treated me. And then lastly, verse 17, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and are broken in a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Commit to obey God. Commit to obey God. Thomas Watson said this, and I love it. Puritan pastor says, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet till sin be bitter Christ will not be sweet so we all fail we confess and repent what does god do when we do god forgives and restores psalm 32 verse 5 this is what this same this is another song that david writes as a result of the bathsheba incident and this is what verse 5 says. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And this is God's response to David. And you forgave my crookedness. You forgave my rebellion. God forgives and restores. First John 1 and 9, and then I'll finish up. First John one and nine, "If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." And then John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, I'll just give you the story. Peter fails God, fails Jesus. Sins by denying him. And Jesus catches him after he's raised from the dead. And he restores Peter. He restores him. Maybe you're here today. And God is breaking you. You're able to call out, yeah, this is how I've sinned against a holy God. What is my response? My response is confession and repentance. I'm not justifying, God, this is what I did. I'm not proud of it, God. I hate that I did it. It was a weak moment for me, but I own what I did before you, a holy God. And when you and I acknowledge and confess and repentance is turning from that sin and walking toward God, God promises He promises, he is faithful to forgive and restore. We're about to do something that actually symbolizes that cleansing that happens to people, and that's baptism. Individuals who say, Jesus, I love you, I'm surrendering to you, and I wanna let the entire world know that I follow you, and I follow you through baptism. And so we have individuals who are being baptized today, and um, if those individuals can come up now, um, we're going to baptize. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying yes to Jesus. And, um, and that's what we're about to do. We're baptizing you now. And so, Pastor Jack.
1: Your friends, welcome this morning. Cassidy, come on down. I got gotcha. you. Thanks, funny. <laughs> yeah. Got it? Yeah. All right, you can stand right over here with me. We're going to look this way. And uh, Cassie, I'm gonna ask you three questions. I'm gonna put you under the water after I ask you to grab your nose with one hand and grab your wrist with the other. That way, it just gives me something to hold on to, right? Uh, So, Cassidy, in the presence of your brothers and sisters, have you given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior?
0: Yes, I have.
1: Committing the rest of your life to follow and to seek Him? Yes. Forsaking all other loyalties so that you might serve Him alone as your God and your King?
0: Yes, I have.
1: And, Cassidy, you can grab your nose. Stand up over here, right there. There you go. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the menace of life. Good job, (laughs) Cassidy. Tub. just anybody come down after <laughs> so luke i'm going to ask you three questions i'm going to ask you to grab your nose with one hand i'm going to grab your and grab your wrist with the other so I have something to hold on to and then i'm going to baptize you okay okay all right luke in the presence of your brothers and sisters in god have you given your life to jesus christ as your lord and your savior yes and you've said that you want to follow him and commit the rest of your life to him Yes. Forsaking all other loyalties so that you might serve him alone as God and king. Yes. All right, Luke, can you grab your nose for me? Grab your wrist. Excellent. Then, Luke, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ, and raised to walk in the newness of life. Good job, man.
0: So friends, I don't, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Maybe you came here with a friend and it was like, I'm just coming because there's free lunch afterwards and, um, and so I decided to come. But maybe in this moment, God met you here. Maybe today is a new beginning for you to begin a journey with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you saw these individuals uh, get baptized or, 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 or you heard the words from the word and you were cut to the heart or convicted and say, you know something? I, I, I don't know God. I, I, I don't know him. I, I mean, I've gone to church, but I don't really know God like that. But friends, today it's a good day. It's a good day, it's a good day to say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I admit that I am separated from you. My sin separates me from you. In fact, I don't even want to talk to you because I am so unholy. And God, you would never hear anyone like me because you don't know the stuff that I've done. David, listen, that's a fairy tale. That, like, I mean, that's a, that's a minor story. You should see my life. And I would say, I would say, if you're not convinced that the God who gave David mercy is the same God who has enough mercy for you. And he is waiting with open arms for you to say, yes, today is my spiritual birthday. I want to follow Jesus. I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I am separated from God. I admit that God provided a way back to him through his son. And by faith, I say yes to him now. And... God gave us a 70 degree day so you can even get baptized today. If that's your desire, if that's your heart to say, I want to begin, we have towels, we have shirts. I want to begin with Jesus today and be baptized today. We got time. I mean, I know the clock says one thing, but we have time. Is the spirit of God moving you today to respond. You said, but man, my, my clothes, like I, you know how much I paid for these clothes? Listen, we'll dry clean them for you. What we care about, if, if you stay around Trinity long enough, what we care about more than anything, It is not you attending on a Sunday morning. It is not you attending all of these things that we mentioned. All of those things are great. What we care about more than anything is that you would have a relationship with Jesus. That's what we care about more than anything. And so today is a good day to say yes. Again, I'm not trying to force and I'm going to step back and I'm going to let the spirit work and I'm going to let Dave kind of lead us in worship of God. And if that is the desire of your heart, on that first note, second note, third note, as we sing together, as we stand and sing together, you can slide out of the aisle and just say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to be baptized today because if I die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. And I want to do business with God today, right now, so that I know, that I know, that I know I would be in eternity with him. And can we stand?
2: Again, if that's you, feel free to come on down as we sing. I pray to stand and rise, lift your eyes, to play.
0: pray with you. We'll be down front. Prayer ministers as well as elders will be down front to pray with you. And if you, um, even if you decide that Jack will still be in the tub just a little bit and uh And um, let me pray for us. So, Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your buckets of mercy. Thank you for your buckets of grace. Thank you that your grace covers a multitude of our sins and that your son Jesus wiped away every single sin that we've ever committed if we surrender our lives to him. And so, God, we thank you for your grace. Grace, we thank you for the story of David because we are all David. We are all in need of mercy. We are all in need of your grace. We are all in need of your compassion. Thank you for putting David's story in the Bible so that we might identify with him. So that we might say that if there's hope for David, there's hope for a person like me. So thank you for your Son Jesus and. Thank Thank you for the love and grace that you have shed abroad in our hearts. And so we leave this place with hope. We leave this place walking in your love and your grace. We leave this place saying thank you for all that you are to us. Now bless us and keep us. Cause your face to shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Turn your face toward us. And give us your peace. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. And all of God's people say it together. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great week.